Well, today is Christ the King Sunday, and I doubt that you had this day marked on your calendar. Probably not. It's also known as the feast or festival of Christ the King, and I doubt that you had a feast planned unless you're going to count that turkey tetrazzini that you're having with your leftover turkey. But it is a church holiday, and that's why we're wearing white today. It's actually the last church holiday of the Christian year. Next Sunday begins the church year, and we start marking the seasons of Advent, Christmas, Epiphany, Lent, Easter, and then Pentecost, or the season of ordinary time it is sometimes called. Christ the King Sunday started in 1925. It's actually the latest, the, the newest church holiday and it was started as a feast in the Catholic Church in response to the rise of dictatorships throughout the world. The particular event that launched it occurred in Mexico, where the government there declared that only the government would be the ultimate authority for all persons in that country. And in rebellion, the church throughout Mexico began to have parades in every community, and the people shouted, Cristo Rey, Cristo Rey, Christ is King. Pope Pius XI was so inspired by that movement that he proclaimed this as a festival throughout the world. And he had some specific goals in mind. It was his goal that the message would be sent to the political movements that were rising in Europe, especially at that time, would stop manipulating the church leaders into supporting their regime. He was hopeful that the leaders would understand that they served at the privilege of Christ. And he also hoped that we would allow the faithful would let Christ the King move into our hearts to influence our wills, our minds, our bodies, and our hearts. Christ the King Sunday became a Protestant uh, celebration as well when it was eventually embraced and included in our revised common lectionary that has scriptures uh, described for each Sunday in the Christian calendar year. Now when you look at the history of those events leading up to World War II, Pope Pius XI almost seems prophetic. He seems to share this understanding that what was happening in the world needed to be challenged. And he hoped that it would have an impact. Unfortunately, it didn't have the impact he hoped because if you know your history, you know the rise of the Nazi regime in Germany, the rise of Mussolini in Italy, ended up resulting in the dehumanization of so much of Europe and the rest of the world. We know now that 11 million people were murdered in the genocide in Europe. Six million of those were the Jewish people, our brothers and sisters. And then the rest were people that had a different race, different beliefs, or what they did. Included in that 11 million were Catholic priests, gypsies, gay people, people with mental and physical disabilities, communists, trade unionists, Jehovah Witnesses, Poles, and ever Slavic peoples. We should never forget the lesson of how the Nazis used racial hate and fear to gain power so that it never repeats itself. When I was reading about this history, I was surprised at the relevance that it has for our time. Because we live in a world where nationalism, secularization, and individualism are on the rise again. There's a growing distrust among the nations. Christ is definitely not king in our world. We see the failure of global leaders to embrace the servant nature of Christ. 
that is creating a chaotic and dangerous world. We live in a divided nation that wants to demonize everyone else. Compromise has become a dirty word. Where is that Christ-like spirit where Jesus said, but whoever wishes to become great among you must become your servant. Whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. And at Christmas time, we remember the one who was born in a manger. And yet we see poverty on the rise throughout the world. We see that gap between rich and poor growing globally and also nationally. We decry the violence that's in our cities, but we know the root causes are poverty, the lack of opportunity, and we seem to lack the will to do anything about it. Incarceration has reached the point that people are beginning to ask if it's even economically sustainable at the rate that it's going. We can't lock up everybody. And the failure of Christ to reign in our, as king in our hearts and the failure to remember his words, when you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me, has caused us to grow insensitive to those that are around us. We're so caught up in our technology that we don't see one another. We're losing our human connection and accountability, and the results have hit awfully close to home. We've seen, even in Noblesville, what it's doing to our children. Children who are stressed because of the expectations they don't think they can reach, the feeling that they're being left behind. Just this year alone, what have we witnessed in Noblesville? We've seen a student who posts the video on social media of a Nazi flag draped around themselves, chanting racial slurs. We've been shocked recently to know that that May 25th shooting was not just targeted for one student, but the intent of that 13-year-old was to kill as many people as possible, which could have been our own children. Last week, we had another incident. After all that's happened, a 15-year-old decides that somehow it's funny to post racial slurs on a bathroom stall. Now, I'm thankful that our school leadership is responding. I'm looking forward to the mental health initiatives that they are creating, that that funding will make possible through that school referendum. But doesn't all this point out how desperately we need Christ to be king in our hearts, in our society, and in our world where fear and hate pervade so much? We need that power and that love to drive that out. So how do we make that happen? How do we make Christ the king something that not only we celebrate, that we pay allegiance to, but we actually begin to live out in our lives? And I think the first thing we need to do is start out by letting Christ become king over our core beliefs, not just our religious beliefs, but over everything. You know, we live in a world where we, we've separated church and state, which is good in so many ways. But we've allowed it to compartmentalize, to think that what we believe about God over here is one thing and what we believe about how to run our nation is another. And we need to understand that our faith should inform our beliefs in every way. You know, we sometimes forget that Jesus lived in a very political world. It was even more complicated than ours because politics and religion were so intertwined you could not separate them in that day. Remember, they lived under the rule of the Roman Empire where the emperor was also considered a god. Remember that the nation of Israel was allowed some autonomy, but guess who ruled that nation? 
under the Roman rule. It was the high priest in the Sanhedrin. And the law of the land was the Mosaic law, which also served as the civil law. So religion and politics were very much one and the same. And they had political parties back then as well. The Pharisees were the combination of the scribes and the rabbis. They were kind of considered the progressive group of their time. The Sadducees consisted of the priesthood and certain healthy Jews. They were not so much sticklers for the details of the law. The Essenes were not so much a political party, but they were very much an entity in that time. They, they wanted to pull away. They were influenced by the Persian beliefs and practices, and they lived a brotherhood where they lived in monasteries and refrained from marriage and had all things in common. The Zealots were a group of intense Jewish patriots. They were not afraid to use violence to achieve their means of independence, to achieve independence from Roman rule. And Jesus somehow never quite associated with any one of these particular sects. He challenged the practices of each. He spoke the truth wherever it needed to be said in whatever way it needed to be said, no matter who he was talking to. To the zealots, he said, he who lives by the sword dies by the sword. To the Essenes, who were focused on their ceremonial purity and withdrawing from the world, Jesus instead engaged in the world, and he took the good news to the prostitutes, to the tax collectors, even to the Samaritans. The Sadducees, he disagreed with them on the resurrection of the dead. And the Pharisees, where Jesus seemed to have the most in common, they both affirmed the authority of the Mosaic law, and yet Jesus was not afraid to call them whitewashed tombs, serpents, fools, and even vipers, because they were obsessed with their legalistic self-righteousness. Jesus had no choice but to deal with the politics of his day, but somehow Jesus could almost be described as apolitical. He was not afraid to challenge the practices or the beliefs of any particular group of his time. He never became partisan. He never aligned himself with any political group. He always spoke truth as it needed to be heard. I remember reading a book that speaks to this subject back in the 90s by Tony Campolo. The title was, is Jesus a Democrat or Republican? It makes for an interesting read. And what he did is he took the political platform of each party and examined it from the beliefs of Jesus Christ and challenged each of them in their own realm. He found that there's benefits in both. There's also places that need to be challenged. And what he offered was the hope that we would know the mind of Christ so well that we can speak over and above whatever political entity we might be a part of, that we can remain independent from those entities and never let those political flaws of any of those parties become associated too much with the name of Christ. This quote says as well, what we need to affirm is that Jesus is neither a Democrat or, nor a Republican. Whenever we marry Jesus to a political party, we are committing the sin of idolatry. We're making Jesus into the image of our political party. The second thing I think that Christ the King Sunday reminds us of is that Christ was not of this world. If he's to be over this world, he must be somewhat removed from it. And therefore, as his people, we are citizens of heaven and not of earth. And we need to acclaim that and affirm that 
because that is where we find our power. That's where we find our integrity. That's where we find the authority to speak over and against anything that is evil in this world. That's what this conversation's about between Pilate and Jesus. You know, you read this and you think, well, Pilate's got the power over Jesus. It's life or death. Jesus should watch what he says, but he doesn't. And when you read this conversation, it's clear that Jesus is the one in power. And that's because his kingdom was not of this earth. You can't do anything to somebody who doesn't care about what happens to them in this life. When they know they have the assurance of the next life. And that's how Jesus lived, and that's how he calls us to live. But that's something the church has not done very well through time. You know, if you look at the artwork, you kind of see how the church has done. If you watch the early artwork in the Christian realm, you'll find that there's many pieces where Jesus is dressed in the simple of attire of his day. But as the church becomes a more part of the political framework in Europe, you discover that Jesus changes how he looks. He, he begins to look grandiose. He gets dressed in the regal robes of rulers and potentates. Secular rulers start, start using Jesus to justify their dynastic rule and sometimes often their cruel ways. And the church became complacent in supporting these secular rulers. Jesus later becomes warrior king when they start using his name to justify their violence against the infidels. Jesus, the king of kings, no longer is that simple, poor, itinerant rabbi from Palestine who had mercy on the poor and the outcast, who submitted to death on the cross. Jesus now took on the look of European monarchs, white, wealthy, dressed in flowing robes and wearing a jeweled diadem. And that's a far cry from the Jesus we know in the scriptures. Our king is the one who got on his knees and washed the disciples' feet. Our king is the one who touched lepers and healed the lame. Our king's the one who welcomed little children to him. Our king's the one who took away the shame of, of a woman known for her sins. Our king refused to use violence to protect himself. And on the cross says to his father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. We need to master that lesson. We need to be a people that are beyond this world. Our king needs to be the one who calls us to serve one another, to bless the poor, to find feet to wash. We need to find those who hide in shame and bring forgiveness. We need to seek out the lame, the blind, and bring God's love to whoever is in need. And the last thing I think Christ the King Sunday reminds us of is our need in these chaotic times to listen to one another, to see one another. Because our Jesus is the one who is walking in a crowd and a woman who's suffered from the flow of blood her entire life reaches and touches him and experiences healing. And Jesus stops and acknowledges her and tells her she has been made well. Jesus has always had time for the people that our society has ignored. Will we do the same? Jesus said, everyone who belongs to the truth listens to his voice. But we live in a world where we cling to our ideologies more than we cling to people. We're more interested in protecting our intellectual turf 
than making human connection. So are we listening to that sacred voice? Are we looking for that person that God has created? I'd like to show you a video. And, and just let me share that this video, the people that will see one another have never met each other before. And they're simply going to be asked to look into each other's eyes for four minutes, just four minutes. Watch and see what happens. mustache Doesn't matter, look at the eyes or something, just uh, give yourself a chance to talk and to look at the other person. These were not actors, these were ordinary people filmed in 2015. They were Syrian refugees and Europeans that were brought together, filmed by Amnesty International. It was based upon an experiment that was done 20 years before by psychologist Arthur Aaron in Berlin, where he just simply asked them to look into each other's eyes. And it shows what happens when we look beyond our stereotypes and truly seek to know each other. Isn't it amazing what happens when we truly see one another? So many of our problems we face globally, nationally, and even locally, personally, find resolution when we 
find time in the will to see one another. Given what we've been experiencing in Noblesville, isn't it time to consider what is isolating us from one another and start seeing each other? The problems we face today are complex, just like they were in 1925 when they started Christ the King Sunday. May we hear that message again for our world, for our nation, for our community, and for our own lives, and let Christ the Servant King be Lord over our lives in every way. What is the voice you are listening to?